it up a little wider. Yes. Yes. It's called intentionality, the Lord would say. Yes. You need to be intentional to position yourself and posture yourself in such a way that your heart would be wide open for me to pour everything that I want to pour into you. There needs to be an expectation, the Lord would say. An expectation that I would come and fill. Not just a hope. A hope's not good enough. There needs to be an expectation that says the Lord's going to fill me fresh and new. The Lord's going to fill me to overflowing because I've opened my heart to him. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for this moment. In Jesus' mighty name, can we give the Lord a big hand clap, church? Come on. Well, good morning, everybody. We doing okay? Come on, you should be. You should be doing a whole lot better than when you walked in. Can I get at least three amens? Make me feel a little bit better with three. <laughs> hey, listen, if this is your first time with us, we just want to welcome you. Church, can we welcome our guests this morning? Can we give them a big hand? If this is your first time with us, there's a connect card on the back of the seat in front of you. Sometime during the service, if you would just simply grab this card, fill it out, and at the end of service, leave it on your seat. We just want to know that you've been with us here today, and, that, and, and, and we'd love to connect with you this week. We'll call you, text you, email you, whatever you prefer. So welcome to our Savior's Church. We pray that your, that your experience so far has been great, and that the rest of it will be even greater. Amen? So hey, let's do this. Let's take about two minutes, and let's greet somebody, and just tell somebody... You look really good today. Anybody said, yeah, I know I look good, 
You might need to humble yourself before the Lord, just saying. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. But welcome, welcome, welcome to our Savior's Church. Glad that you're with us this morning. Whew. How about this new year? Come on. We've done been th- we've, we're only three weeks in. We've done been through summer, spring, and fall all over again. And, and, and we hit winter again this week. I walked in somewhere this week, and I said, well, welcome back to winter. And they were like, yeah, right. <laughs> Do y'all get outside? <laughs> okay. All right. Just checking. <laughs> well, this morning, I want to uh, piggyback off of the message from last week. We, I'm, I'm doing a two-part series in Psalms 91. If you, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message from last week, because last week we talked about my secret place. We talked about how as a believer, every one of us has been invited into a secret place with God. It's technically called, or simply called, his presence. We are called to a life of presence. Not a life of occasionally visiting his presence, but a life of living in his presence. And so last week I unpacked a lot of words, and, I, and, we, and we really broke down the first nine verses of Psalms 91. And so I'll encourage you to go back and listen to that again uh, this week because it will help this message make more sense. There was three aspects I talked about last week of the secret place. And the first one was the dwelling and how we've been called to dwell. And, and I, I, when I broke that word apart, dwell means to, to, to become your lifestyle. To dwell somewhere means that I've left some other things behind and I've moved in and settled here. I left the old life of occasionally visiting with God in his presence and I've moved into consistently living in God's presence. I changed my address. I packed my stuff up in the old place. I even cleaned it up, threw some stuff in the garbage and I moved into the new place called God's presence, the secret place, my secret place. So we talked about how important it is to dwell. Then we talked about the secret place itself and how it is the presence of God. And you can be in the presence of God in Walmart, somebody. Come on. He even goes to the Dollar General. (laughs) I think he likes the Mexican restaurants, the burger joints. It's my secret place. And then we talked about the shadow because the the Bible says in verse 1 of Psalms 91, it says that that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That word abide means to set up camp. And we talked about the importance of the shadow. And that's where we find protection and covering and life and refreshing and all those things we talked about last week. And so today I want to break apart because I, I see, when I see the second half of Psalms 91, I see, I see almost an explanation of what the life under the shadow looks like. So the title of my message today is Life Under the Shadow. I want to build an expectation in you. I want to, I want to change your mind about the way things have been for yourself and for others around you. I, want, I hope today that you can walk out even seeing differently I want you to understand that this new life should be drastically different than the previous life. Because you've been born again. 
there should be some noticeable change that's taking place. If you're not noticing change in your life, don't be condemned. Don't be shunned. Take responsibility for it. Press into Jesus. Pray. Ask God to help you. Open your Bible. Get into a life group. Connect with other believers and change something. Amen? There should be some change. So go with me to Psalms 91, starting in verse 9. Is that the heater? Please, please check and see if that's the heater, because I'm like, I'm going to melt. <laughs> It'll be good for my weight, but, like, not good for y'all, because I'll just be a puddle like the, you know, the snowman. Not the abominable, abominable snowman, just a regular snowman. Frosty, that's his name. Thank you, Cheryl. Glad you're in church today. Psalms 91, starting in verse 9. Look at what it says. Let's pray first. Father, open our hearts. Lord, we open our hearts. Help us to let go of the distractions from last week. Help us to let go of the worries and anxieties for tomorrow and next week. Lord, help us to be present in this moment with our eyes open and our ears open and our heart ready to receive from your word. Your word, Lord, is, a, is sharper than a double-edged sword to pierce even the hardest hearts. I pray that we receive everything from your word today that we're intended to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 9, listen, listen carefully. It says, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place... No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample, whereat? Underfoot. <laughs> yeah. So I want you to understand that the promises we're talking about today in Psalms 91 verses 9 to 13 are a bit conditional. That's, I just read to you from the New King James translation. It uses the word because. When you, you, when you look up the NIV or, or the NLT, it says it uses the word if. So if the Lord is your dwelling place, if the Lord is your most high, if he's your refuge, it's conditional. Remember last week we talked about developing an awareness of God's presence. Like God doesn't have a presence problem. We have an awareness problem. Come on, somebody. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We're too tormented. We're too emotional. We got too many things going on, and we're not aware of his presence. So he's saying this to us today. If you will make the Lord your dwelling place, all these things were promised to you. Martin Luther wrote this. He said, this portion of scripture refers to one who really dwells and does not merely appear to dwell and does not imagine that he dwells. <laughs> when I read that, I went, golly, bro, you got up in my Kool-Aid. Like, I can't even imagine that I'm dwelling. I need to, like, really dwell. Ah, which means this, that there should be some evidence of the dwelling. 
Not a pretension, not a pretending, not not a faking, not a fronting. Come on, somebody. We need to really dwell. We need to know that we're dwelling because we're sensing and feeling God's presence and we're becoming more aware of it. So let's break this apart a little bit this morning. First thing that he tells us for those who dwell... I want you to catch this. The first line says, because you have made the Lord. (laughs) You know, God's not in the business of forcing himself on us. But he is in the business of leaving the door wide open for us to experience him. And if we'll just walk through the door, if we'll just suggest some things in our life and make him my dwelling place. If we'll get away from the excuse making. Well, if if this was going right and that was going right, then I could be, I could be in the dwelling. If this was, and everything's conditional for you. What if you just dropped the excuses, stepped into his presence, and let him deal with all that stuff? Kind of sounds like what Jesus said in Matthew, that if you'll seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, all these things will be added to you. So instead of adding to yourself and then going to Jesus, what if you just went to Jesus and then you let him add to you? So the first thing he says is that no evil shall befall you. Now he's specifically speaking about evil. Not necessarily everything like affliction or calamity or troubles. Because if you read the New Testament, the New Testament tells us that we're going to have troubles. But he's speaking of evil. The word befall is, is re- relative to the, to the phrase or to the understanding of a tragic ending. You ever know someone who got into a tragic car accident and died? Their life came to an end, an abrupt, tragic end. You know there's a difference between somebody slowly dying and somebody tragically dying, right? They hit differently. They affect you differently. That word befall and the promise that he's making to us today is that simply this, that the evil in this world will not take you out. The evil in this world for the person who dwells in the secret place will not be your end of your story. It will not be the thing that tragically ends your life. Evil will not tragically end you. Which does all kinds of things for us. It should take fear away from us. It should say, oh my God, evil's not going to end me. Evil's not going to be my tragedy. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Then he says, nor shall any plague come near you. Wow. (laughs) I want to share a story with you from Charles Spurgeon. Back in 1854, he was in London and had a church in a, the Asiatic cholera broke out. They had a big breakout. It was, a, it was like a plague. It was a big breakout, and people were dying daily by the droves. And his church members were dying. And if they weren't dying, they were deathly sick. And so Charles Spurgeon tells the story of going every day to multiple people's houses and praying and comforting 
and bringing, trying to bring peace into their life and believing God for miracles. And then he would leave somebody's house and go attend a funeral and, or, 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 or lead a funeral. And he was doing multiple funerals and multiple visits daily. And it, it went day after day after day. And in his story, he says, I got to the point where I was burdened beyond what I could handle. And I was, I was coming under the sickness. I was sick in my heart because I just seen people dying every single day. And it was sickening my heart. And I was, I was, I was losing, I felt like I was losing ground. And I was coming under this sickness. And he says, one day I left a funeral. And I'm walking down the street. Tears still rolling down my eyes, exhausted, thinking that I'm getting sick with the plague or the cholera. And I walk in front of the shoemaker's store and has something posted on his window. Let me read to you what was posted on the shoemaker's window. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. He writes that in that moment, he said immediately faith rose up in his heart and his whole attitude changed, his whole perspective changed, his disposition changed. Faith rose up and immortality rose up inside of him. And he went back into the ministry and the mission field that he was currently in. And he continued to minister to people. And he never got sick. Instantly, faith rose up inside of him because he read something that somebody posted on the window of their store. Nor shall any plague come near you. You know, it's a beautiful thing, in a sense, take me the right way, to serve others in what is killing them, yet not being harmed yourself. The next thing Psalms 91 tells us is that he shall give his angels charge over you. This wasn't just a suggestion or a request that the Lord made to the angels. It was a charge. It was a go do this. <laughs> Come on. I used to be able to charge my son to take the garbage out tonight so that the garbage man comes tomorrow and my trash cans get empty. I can't charge nobody but myself now. <laughs> It wasn't a request. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a charge. Take that garbage out. Put it at the street. Right? The Lord gave his angels charge over us. And it wasn't just one angel. So how many of you like The Wonderful Life to watch that movie around Christmas time? How many of you show hands? Yeah, it lied to you. You don't get one guardian angel. You get the whole crew. Come on, somebody. Because he gave his angels charge over you. And for some of us, come on somebody, some of us, it takes more than one. I'm <laughs> just saying. <laughs> it's all of them. This is what you need to understand. The angels that are guarding your life are not accountable to you. They're accountable to God. Mm. 
In fact, they're not even serving you to please you. They're serving you and keeping you and protecting you to please God. Now, this is a, an interesting verse, a portion of the scripture, because this is the same scripture that Satan quoted to Jesus when Jesus was being tempted. Maybe you remember that story. Jesus gets baptized, comes out of the, the river, and he's, he goes straight into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And the enemy comes and tempts him at his most easiest place, his stomach, right? Turn these stones. <laughs> y'all act like y'all don't get hangry. I'm getting hangry about a minute. <laughs> Not really. Maybe. Um. <laughs> but Jesus comes out of that. He goes into the wilderness and he's being tempted. And the second temptation comes and Satan tempts Jesus and tells him, won't you just jump off this cliff? And then he quotes that verse that, well, he gave his angels charge over you so that you wouldn't even dash your foot upon a stone. What was he trying to get Jesus to do? To test God by stepping outside of God's will. Do you think he stopped after Jesus rebuked him? Do you think he's still tempting us with the same thing today? If you'll just step out of God's will and jump off and into this thing, his angels are going to protect you. His angels are going to keep you. What did Jesus say? Don't test God, bro. I'm going to say it to you plain. Don't test God. In other words, don't step outside of God's will in order to test his promises to you. There's enough coming your way to see the promises fulfilled in your life. You don't need to self-destruct or deconstruct and do something stupid to experience the promises of God. He's still pulling the trick today. <laughs> and I wonder how many are willing to risk the covering of God by stepping out of the will of God. Promising you the world if you'll worship him. Promising you the world if you'll do this and that. And using Psalms 91 to get you to do it. All you got to do is look at him and say, bro, I ain't stupid. I ain't stupid. I know what you're after. It's them sales calls you get. They're trying to sell you more insurance on your car. Extended warranty on your car. I ain't stupid. I'm not falling for this. That's called resistance. <laughs> to be aware of the enemy's tricks is called Resistance. The Bible promises if you resist, he flees. You resist, he flees. You don't resist, he stays. It's not complicated. Amen? And then he says this. The psalmist says this. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. <laughs> now, some of you have a hard time believing that. Let's just be honest. Some of you have a hard time believing that you could tread upon a lion and a cobra even if he meant it in the natural world or the natural sense. You see, there's a problem we have with Christianity where we think the best option of protection is to not ever get involved in the first place. 
Like the best way to protect myself is to not ever put myself in a compromisable position or get myself into a war that I don't really want to be in because I don't want to even see the cobra or the lion unless they're on the other side of a fence. Come on, somebody. Or a glass, right? But the word says that you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. Now watch this. We're talking about the secret place. We're talking about life under the shadow of the Almighty. When you're living under the shadow, some things start to change inside of you. You're not afraid of what you used to be afraid of. Or at least you shouldn't be. You're not, you're not scared or intimidated by things that you used to be intimidated by. So now that I'm living under the shadow, I'm, I'm aware of God's presence in my life, I'm not afraid. Or if I am afraid, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Here's where the enemy's winning. He's convincing you that if you don't ever face the lion and the cobra, you're not at risk. But I'm here to tell you today, unless you face the lion and the cobra, you never experience the victory that's been promised to you. So you can sing victory, you can dance victory, you can clap victory, and you can sing and shout victory all you want to. But if you never face the lion or the cobra, you don't know what real victory is. Until you get your back against the wall and you're, you, you're afraid to die and the, and the God of all heaven and earth comes and delivers you. You don't know what victory is. You see, we're going to have to understand that we've been offered victory, not just survival. God's church needs to go from surviving to thriving. We're not just making throughers, we're overcomers. The last time I read my Bible, he's called you to victory because he's already given you victory. He's given you and promising something that he's already delivered. But you'll never know it if you won't even face the lion and the, and the cobra. By the way, a gardener snake is a cobra. Just saying, gotta die. Gotta die. And an unruly kitty cat is a lion. Just telling y'all right now. <laughs> what are you afraid of? You see, I don't want to get to heaven and, and just have, have lived on other people's victories. I want to get to heaven and tell my own stories. I don't want to be a, did you hear about so-and-so guy? I want to be a, bruh, there was this time... <laughs> Man, let me tell you about this story. You follow what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be Fox News and report something that happened. I want to experience something that happened. And the only way I can experience victory is to not be afraid to stand and face the cobra and the lions in my life. Which means this, instead of making excuses, instead of becoming passive, instead of stepping back and, and squinching down, what if you just stood in faith with your knees shaking and you're scared to death and you're about to fall, but you're going, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's the one who holds me. He's the one who keeps me. He's my refuge in my rock. And then you see victory come. And then you walk out of that and the next lion or the cobra you face your knees shake a little bit less. 
as we used to say in the construction world, to put hair on your chest. <laughs> I don't know how that got in my head just now. <laughs> it related to somebody in here, some guy, hopefully. <laughs> if it related to a girl, don't say amen. <laughs> you get really weird. Let me take a sip of water. <clears throat> so we've been offered victory, not just survival. We trample deadly enemies under our foot. Even though you're living under the shadow, you still got to face the lion and the cobra. I don't want to preach anything false to you. You're going to face him. You're going to face him. But you've, been already, you've already been given victory. Victory is already yours. Go and experience victory. That's what the cobra and the lion is. It's an opportunity to experience victory. They're not there to kill you because they can't kill you. They're there to grow you. They're, they're set up to give you an experience that you might not have had. Yeah, but but I don't, I just don't I don't like tension and I don't like strife and I don't like confrontation. And I don't Do you like victory? Do you like victory? If you like victory, you're gonna have to get a little bit uncomfortable. You're gonna have to face some things you don't wanna face. I'm not going waking up every day going, where's that lion? Where's that cobra? I'm not doing that. Some days I'd be ducking too. <laughs> we see it. Jesus showed it to us. He showed it to us when the enemy was tempting him in the wilderness. After Jesus had enough... He sent him on his way. And he was victorious. Right? So if Jesus can do it, you can do it. He showed us what victory looks like. He showed us in the scriptures the enemy running from him. Because when Jesus had enough, he said, all right, bro, I gave you a chance. Like, it didn't work, bro. Like, this is just awkward now. Like, because you're not winning. Like, I'm getting tired of dealing with you. So, like, psh, go. Psh. Come on. Go. I'm done. I'm done with this one. You have to come back with something better than this, bro. You might need to go regroup, Satan. Just saying. Now watch verse 14 to 16. Something happens. If you, if you pay attention to how it's writ, uh, written, the person speaking changes. Actually, it changes three times in Psalms 91 if you'll pay attention. But in verses 14 to 16, it goes from the psalmist speaking to us to God himself speaking to us. Which tells me that verse 14, 15, and 16 are pretty phenomenal. Like if God had to say it and not let the psalmist say it, I need to pay attention to it. 
<laughs> it's the difference in older brother telling you what mama said than mama saying it herself. Right? Look at what the Lord said. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he has known my name, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Do you see it? Do you see who's talking now? Do you see who's giving you these promises now? It's not a psalmist. It's not either Moses or David because that's the two that they think wrote this psalm. It's either one of those. It's the Lord himself. I will. I will. Look at how many times he says, I will. I will. Well, who's the I wills apply to? The one who sets his love upon him. What does that mean, Pastor? <laughs> what does it mean to set my love upon the Lord? What does that mean? Because that could be a church phrase, a bumper sticker or a T-shirt, right? And people say, oh, that's a nice shirt, but I don't know what it means. How many of you get sick with church phrases sometimes? Oh, What does it mean to set your love upon him? It means you get to make a choice where your love goes. I choose where my love goes. Society has bought into the lie that love is something that happens to us. Not something that is chosen. Society believes that love is a feeling. Correction, my friend. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice that determines your feelings. Because if I'm being really honest with you today, there was days I didn't feel like being married. Don't, don't raise your hand. I wasn't looking for an amen. I ain't trying to get nobody in trouble today. I, I'm just being honest about myself. There was days I didn't feel it. And I know there was days Cheryl didn't feel it because it didn't look like she felt it or, like, or sound like she felt it. It just, anyway. Mm -hmm. Tread lightly, my friend. You see, our feelings should never determine our choices. In fact, the opposite is true is that our choices should determine our feelings. But be aware, your feelings don't like to line up with your choices. Your feelings can be stubborn. They can be slow. They can be like your kid when you're in the, at the line in Walmart, back when they had people at the cash registers, and, and they had the candy right there, and your kid wanted the candy. You say, you ain't getting no candy. You just had some candy 10 minutes ago. You ain't getting no candy. And they throw a fit, and instead of walking out the store, sometimes your feelings are like that little kid. You got to drag them out the store, Right? But any good mom or daddy's not going to sit there and tolerate that. You're just going to keep on going on and keep on going on, right? So is your feelings. So if you're letting your feelings determine the course of your life, you're already in trouble. If you're letting your feelings determine your choices, you're making bad choices in most cases. Ha! <laughs> 
well, I feel like this. That's fine for dinner or supper or lunch or dessert. Like, I follow my feelings over some dessert. Come on, somebody. Like, my feelings make good choices with desserts. But, like, real life issues, they get me in trouble every time. Right? Because some days my feelings be like, I want some bluebell. The other days they're like, I want some bread pudding. I'm hungry yet? I got another 45 minutes to go. You know, you didn't feel like getting saved. You felt something, I'm sure. That may not be true for every case. Some people may have just made a decision to give their life to Jesus and accept what they did on the cross. You know, those people are saved too. How many of you would be honest with me today and say, boy, my feelings have got me into some trouble? Yeah, there ain't enough of y'all raising your hands. Okay, let me ask the next question. How many of you lied in church today? <laughs> like just now. We'll have some prayer time at the end. Isn't it true, though? Look at everything that we're feeding on today. Look at, look at social media. Look at the media in general. Look at the, the billboard signs. Look at the products you buy at the store. Look at the shows that are on TV. It's all about feelings. Well, I don't feel like being a boy today. I don't feel like being a girl today. And you can put all the 50-cent words that you want on top of that. that. The reality is, is you're just living by your feelings. You're not living by choices. I don't feel like being married today. I don't feel like having kids today. <laughs> the funny thing is your kids are like, I don't feel like having parents today. <laughs> they just don't say it because they know you're going to get in trouble for it. <laughs> no. Uh-oh. Going to be interested at your house. We're going to pray for y'all today. <laughs> Some days your kids feel like they should have been born to the people down the street. <laughs> so there's some blessings that come with the verses 14, 15, and 16. For those who love God by putting their trust in him. Let me, let me, let me ex explain. To put my love on God is to acknowledge his name. It's to call upon him. Watch this. It's to seek satisfaction from him alone. Do you realize that every time you seek to be satisfied apart from God, he gets jealous? When you're having a bad day and your emotions are running high and you're stressed out and you grab you a good old Bud Light, or if you're cheap, a Milwaukee's best, and you think you're going to knock the edge off? You know God gets jealous? Why? Because he wants to be your satisfaction. He designed you to only be satisfied completely by him. Which means that there's nothing in this world that can satisfy you like the one who made you. 
So go change your gender. Change your hair color. Change your school. Change everything you want to change. And when it ain't working no more, and you're not satisfied anymore, where are you going to go then? You've been invited to the one who can only satisfy you. Quit smoking dope because it don't work. Quit drinking because it don't work. I can't get no. Somebody was thinking it. I'm telling you right now. Somebody had a jingle going on. I can't get no. I'm going to stop right there. Let me give you five blessings found in the shadow. Five blessings found in the shadow, then I'm going to wrap this up. Number one is the blessing of his presence. He says this, I will be with him when? In trouble. Boy, let me tell you something. When trouble comes, doesn't it sometimes feel like God just left the building? Don't, don't sometimes it feels like God don't like trouble, and when you're going through trouble, like you can't even sense that he's near? You're like, God, you bailed out on me or what? I mean, like, golly, where are you at? Remember, this is life under the shadow. He's omnipresent. We're just not always omni-aware. I will be with him in trouble. The second blessing is the blessing of protection. He says, I will deliver him. How many of you have hoped somebody would come and deliver you, <laughs> rescue you, and they never showed up? I pick with some of my friends sometimes and say, man, I've been calling you for a week, bro. Like, man, you okay? It's like, dude, I've been upside down in the ditch for the whole week waiting on you to answer my phone call. It's a joke. We usually laugh about it. Alligator humor. I will deliver him. The third blessing that comes from living under the shadow is, I, is the blessing of his promotion. <laughs> it's the blessing of his promotion. He says that I will honor him, which means that you won't have to honor yourself. Oh, my God, we live in a jacked-up world. Everybody's trying to promote themselves. Everybody's trying to build their brand. Every try, everybody's trying to get their name out there and get famous so that people will come to them. I'm trying to promote myself. I'm promoting myself. I'm promoting myself. My God, that must get exhausting after a little while. Got to work so hard to get your name out there when if you'll just learn to live under the shadow, God says, I'll honor you and I'll promote you. And you won't have to post something about yourself with 20 different filters on it to make you look good. God, I was about to say something. The blessing of promotion. 
You know you find confidence when God honors you, right? You're secure when you can let God honor you and let God promote you and you don't have to promote yourself. It's a secure person who knows and relies on the one who does the real honoring to promote them. It's the blessing of promotion. The fourth is the blessing of prosperity. Watch what he says. With long life, I will satisfy him. With long life. I've sometimes made this statement. I wouldn't mind living to 100 as long as it was good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you're 48 and you're going, man, everything's hurting already. Can I get an early pass? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't mean that. I'm just I'm talking to you. <laughs> But I felt that way at times. But he says, with long life, I will satisfy him. I will be his satisfaction. Prosperity is satisfaction. Prosperity is not a big bank account and driving certain vehicles and living in a certain house. You can be prosperous in any kind of man-made structure. It doesn't matter if it appraises for some enormous amount of money. Prosperity can be peace. I brought a family through Financial Peace University one, one life group semester, and, and um, they, had, they had, I didn't know this, but they had paid all their stuff off. They didn't know anybody anything. And they weren't living in the nicest conditions, but they were totally at peace, totally satisfied. They walked into Financial Peace University looking at Dave Ramsey like, what you going to teach me, bro? And I remember going, that's prosperity. They didn't overfinance themselves to make themselves look prosperous. They had peace. A financed pillow doesn't sleep very well. It's tough. But boy, a paid-off pillow sleeps well. Come on, somebody. It's the blessing of prosperity. Prosperity has to do with your relationships. Prosperity has to do with your emotions. Are you emotionally prospering? Then the fifth one is this. It's the blessing of preservation. And he says this, I will show him my salvation. You know, salvation is not something we're just waiting for, right? Salvation is something that we can rest in now. We can have assurance in now. I can find peace in that now. I'm not afraid of death because I know where I'm going. Death looks like a promotion to me. If I could just take Cheryl and the kids with me at the same time, it'd really be a promotion. That's the thing that really hurts is I just don't want to leave them behind. But I'm not afraid to die. My name's written in the right book. And I'll be there just waiting for the T's to come across. It's like when you go vote, right? You go, you, 
if you've been voting in the same place for a little while, you go to the lady who's got the T's if you're a Tyler, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a little, it's a little too deep. For, you got it, G? Okay. <laughs> she got it. She's all the way in the back. That means it passed all y'all. It passed all y'all. She caught it. I'll be waiting for the T's for Tyler. Get it? <laughs> it's the blessing of preservation. I'm not worried about death. I don't carry that baggage with me. Come on, somebody. I'm not worried about that. But you know, I didn't get that the day I got saved. That had to be developed inside of me. And as I walked with God and I did what God said to do, even in the hard times when I didn't feel like doing it, and I learned to live in the shadow, to live in the secret place, when you're in the secret place, you're not worried about what's out there. We're going into a financial crisis in 2023. Oh, my God. It's going to be doom and gloom. Okay. Lord, do I need to do anything? Raise more chicken, son. Raise some beef. You may need to feed some people. Sounds good to me. That's already starting to work. Anyway. Let me get a keyboard player. I need some help. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here. I was in a conversation the other day, and I didn't know how to end the conversation. And I was like, well, I don't know what to say next. <laughs> I just said it. I said, I don't know what to say next. This feels weird. Like, I don't know how to end this conversation. And they went, yeah, me neither. I'm like, okay, well, bye. <laughs> Anybody ever know what I'm talking about? Just, sometimes it just, and I'm not saying that this is weird. I'm just saying that I don't have anything else to say. Other than you've been invited into the secret place. It's not based on what your church does. It's not based on what your friends do. It's not based on even what your household is doing. It's between you and God. It's your secret place. So I want you to understand this. God has designed this whole thing for you to live in his presence and not just visit his presence. You're invited into his presence at your workplace, in your home, with your friends, at the gym, in the doctor's office, Walmart, Dollar General. He don't particularly like the family dollar, but I mean, he'll go. But like seriously, at the car wash, secret place, driving down 190 with these tight lanes, worried somebody going to rip your mirror off in the secret place. You've been invited into that. Whatever you believe is holding you back, speak to that. Take the authority you have over that and speak to it. It's, it's only a lion or a cobra. And you just learn that you're going to tread upon them and they're going to be under your feet. So whatever's holding you back, speak to it. You don't know who my family is. It don't matter who your family is. I've been going through a lot and I just don't feel like it. Okay? 
Make a choice. Make a decision. I've been watching The Chosen lately, and there's a famous, I call it a famous line. It's not famous yet because y'all hadn't caught up with it yet. But there was this line that Jesus, he's sitting with his disciples. He's getting ready to send them out two by two. And he looks at them because they, he realized they were freaking out because they were going to cast out demons, heal the sick, and preach the gospel. And they ain't never done that before. They didn't go to school. They didn't have a degree. They didn't have a plaque on the wall. And they were like, oh, shoot. And Jesus realized they were freaking out. Watch what he told them. Now, this is the chosen, but I just thought it was really cool. He's sitting there and he goes, I don't need you to feel anything to do great things. I got up out of my recliner, flexed my chest muscles, roar, in a house full of girls. Ain't even got a, f never mind. We've been invited into the secret place. We've been invited to do great things. We've not been invited to do them by ourselves. We've been invited into his presence. We can live in his presence. Can you say that with me today? Say this with me. Say, I can live in God's presence. I need to move out of the old place and move into his place. sometimes it seems really overwhelming to me that we get this great privilege of living in a secret place with you. That we get to be aware of your presence. I'm thinking, Lord, about the people that you've trusted me to shepherd and how many conversations I've had and how over the years I've been able to watch people develop awareness of you. Back when we first started, Lord, and we were just trying to survive. Now those folks are thriving, stepping on lions and stepping on cobras. Do that in all of us today, Lord. You've invited us. With all of our garbage, you invited us. Bring your bags. Bring your stuff. We'll sort it out when you get here. Lord, some days I feel like I don't deserve that. I know that I can't earn that. But there's, there's this very mysterious thing. shows me that even when I don't feel like I deserve it or I feel like I'm worth it you still give it to me you still invite me I must be worth something for you to want me to be in your presence and for you to want to be in my presence so God today I ask you to make us aware and Lord, we would push back the distractions, push back the busyness, push back the emotions that are running wild, push back the feelings, and press into an awareness of your presence. Lord, may that become our lifestyle, a lifestyle of your presence.
experience all the promises that you've made to us in their fullness. Put your heads bowed and your eyes closed if there's anyone here who's never given your life to Jesus. You say, man, I just really need to get things right with Jesus. I need to make a decision today. That's you. You want to make a decision to give your life to Jesus, to accept what he did on the cross, to confess that he's the Lord of your life. That's you. Just raise your hand real quick. You don't have to feel something. You can make a decision. I see you. Praise God. I see you. Put your hand down. Anybody else? Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I realize today that I get to choose you because you chose me. So I believe in my heart what you did on the cross was more than enough to pay for my sin. And now I'm in a good relationship with God. I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the grave and you're sitting at his right hand and today I surrender to that and I make this confession Jesus you are now my Lord I give you my life in Jesus name amen can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning life to Christ today. God, that's good news. Good news. We celebrate with you. We celebrate with you. Let me give you a few quick announcements and then um, let you go today. Is it just me or feel like I'm getting faster? I did that to myself, but I am. It's 1129. So there's, there's some announcements on the back of your notes this morning that, that may not, I may not announce, but I want, there's one big one that I want you to get. We're going into uh, seven days of prayer and fasting starting tomorrow morning. We're going to kick off the fasting and the prayer time, but we're actually going to launch it tonight at our Jennings location. We thought it would be great to bring all three campuses together, Jennings, Eunice, and Crowley, and have a worship and prayer night. So I don't know if you made plans to go, but you can change your plans and still go. And don't tell me it's 45 minutes because you're going to laugh yet for a deal. Saw what I did right there? I practiced that one. Yeah, yeah, we're good. But it starts tonight at 5 p.m. at our Jennings campus. Our worship team will be leading worship. Super excited about that. And so it's going to be a great night to kick off our Seek Week. Where we're going to seven days of prayer and fasting. I hope that you've prepared yourself. I hope that we've done this enough times that you're aware. I hope that you've picked up on the announcements and you know what's coming. Typically, January and August, we go into prayer and fasting times. Hopefully, you're already prepared for whatever you're going to fast. 
What does it mean to fast? It just means to push something away. I would go to, my plan this, this fast is to push away my biggest distractions. Like, Lord, what's my two biggest distractions? I'm going to push them away. If I can realistically push them, somebody's like, well, work's my distraction. <laughs> Might not go good for you. <laughs> but I want to push away distractions, and I want to spend intentional time with Jesus. Not necessarily for somebody else. For me first. I want to hear his voice fresh and new. I've already gotten a word for myself for this year. i got a word for the church this year. I just want some good, concentrated Jesus time. Come on, somebody. That's what prayer and fasting is. So you can structure it however you want. I'm not going to tell you how to structure it. I would just say make it clear. Communicate it to your family. Let everyone know what you're doing. So, like, don't say you're going to fast TV and then walk into the house and your kids are watching TV and you throw a fit because the TV's on. You never told them you was going to fast TV. Might turn into a time of prayer and fighting. So everyone's invited tonight. I encourage you to attend. It's not going to kill you to drive 45 minutes to be in the presence of the Lord, the rest of the congregation, so you can do that. All other announcements are on the back. The schedule for Seek Week is on your sermon notes. You can see it there. You can see it on any of our socials. How many of you ready to give today? Come on, anybody excited to give? I had this thought during worship. What if, what if you took this year and made a decision to be a tither? What if you said, I'm going to tithe this whole year? Do you know that's the only place in Scripture that God says to test Him? I'm asking you to test God by tithing all year long and then come next January... Tally up and see what happened to you. And if God didn't keep his word, you don't ever have to tithe again. That's how much I believe it. And you can still stay in the church. You can just come tell me, Pastor, it didn't work. I say, well, you're absolved from tithing. I'll take the lick from God. Because I know if you'll give the first 10% of your income to God and trust Him with it, He will do something incredible. Amen? So what if you did that? There's three ways to give. Online, text to give, or give in person. There's two black boxes as you walk out. You can drop your tithe or your offering in there. Amen? Stand up with me. I'm bless you and let you go this morning. Hey, I want us to show a little love to our sound and media and security team, those guys in the booth right there. Can we give them a little love today? We got eyes on the campus. We know what's going on around the campus. We got people that are putting things up here so you can sing along and keep up with the sermon and making life as easy as we can for you. You're welcome. Love you guys. Appreciate all of you. Just open your hands towards heaven like you're about to get a big old present. Lord, we thank you. Open up a little bit wider because it might be bigger than you think. Lord, we thank you for today. God, would you bless us with your presence? Would you bless us with awareness of your presence? That, God, we would sense you and be aware of you everywhere we go. That, Lord, this would become our lifestyle. This would become who we are. That we're people who live in the presence. Bless us with that today, Lord, and we'll have everything that we need from there. We love you in Jesus' name.
Amen. We love you guys.